0: All right, we're going to cover the courtroom and the crucifixion tonight. So, so we we we're gonna we're gonna flow through this thing pretty good. All right, anybody raise your hand if you need a lesson. We got them coming out. All right, need a lesson. All right, everybody else, turn to Luke chapter twenty-two. Luke chapter twenty-two. We've been going through the book of Luke since Noah got off the ark. I think. I mean, it's <laughs> Wednesday night. We're we're about to wrap it. It's been a while, ain't it, Gus? It's been a while. Luke chapter twenty-two, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna finish the last few verses of Luke twenty-two, uh, which which basically is the arrest of Christ. Uh, we talked about the arrest of Christ. What 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 we do here in the courtroom? Going right into chapter number twenty-three, and we'll go and cover as much as we can into chapter twenty-three. Now, before we do that. Uh, we have a a ton of our people over there at uh, what's that thing called over there? They they went to True Love uh, Rally, True Love Waits, or True Love Rally over in 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 the city, and uh, so we're gonna pray for them. And also, they asked us if if we could pray for Brother Bo, Brother Bo Winfrey, Andrew's daddy. Uh, he's gonna be speaking tonight and uh, uh, sharing a little testimony over there for him. And I know he's terrified and nervous and all that kind of thing so they asked if we would pray for them and i think we need to do that amen and so while half of our church is over there we're going to pray on this side that god would touch them and help them and uh, then we'll read uh but let's pray before we start but just remain standing we're going to read just a couple verses and uh brother uh uh buchanan would you lead us in prayer and just ask god to bless what's going on over there okay Yes, Jesus. Amen. Let's remain standing. Let's read just a couple verses in chapter 22, and I'll let you sit down, all right? We are in verse 60. Three, Luke 22 uh, verse 63 they have come to the garden the garden of Gethsemane Jesus has prayed in the garden with his disciples they have come Judas has betrayed him he came and kissed the Lord uh, uh, they arrest him and they take him to the high priest's house, all right uh, the Sanhedrin can't meet yet because it's not it's during the night and, and and it was policy that they would not do that so they take Jesus to the high priest's house and keep him there and mock him and and, and you know uh, make fun of him there until daybreak. when daybreak comes is when we get into chapters 23 and then we'll, we'll go from there all right so Luke 22 and verse uh, 63, if you found your place say amen. amen now this is in. This is in the high priest's house, okay? And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously they spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into the council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us, and he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe, if I also... And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own, out of his own mouth. You may be seated. Uh, uh, Brother Johnny, go, or Brother Buchanan, if you can, go to my computer. I don't know what I have done with my notes, but I have—I I took them out. Never mind. Hang on, maybe this is them. No, it's not. Go find them. It's uh, brother du- or brother Dustin should know where they are. I put them in my Bible, and I hope somebody didn't steal them. If you need to, you need to read them. Amen. <laughs> All right. Hey Buchanan. I just wanted to see if you'd do it. Come on back. I found them. All right. No. Yeah, I found them. I got them. They was in the front. All right. All right. I'm really going to have to go to the doctor for this. I'm telling you, this is getting bad. All right. Now, first thing we want to talk about, first thing we want to talk about, basically, we're going to talk about several things, but they're going to be in two categories, all right? Uh, Let's go ahead and get serious. Let's get serious. Uh, They're going to be in two categories tonight. We're going to talk about the courtroom scene or the court that they brought him to. And, and, and basically, that's going to entail three different places. So uh, we're going to talk about the court, and then we're going to talk about the crucifixion itself. And I hope we can uh, uh, we can get as far as we can on that. It's four pages long, and it, and we have an hour. So we got We got to go quickly. And if I get in a hurry, just bear with me and be patient, and uh, 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 we'll get as much done as we can tonight, all right? Number one, we see the court. First, I want you to write down this. I want you to see the characters that we are dealing with at this court, the characters that we are dealing with at this court. As soon as it became day, as, be- as soon as it became day, they left the high priest's house. They took Jesus. He is still under arrest. Uh, uh, they they have been mocking him uh, in, in the early morning hours, waiting for it to get day so that the council could come together, the Sanhedrin could come together, and then they could try him. The Sanhedrin is the first character I want you to write down. Number one, I want you to write this down. The Sanhedrin. This is the first group that we see. This is the first group of people that we run into that that begin to try the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse chapter 23 and verse 1, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. Now, before that, we see in, in chapters uh, 22, verses 63, and all the way through down to 66, they bring him before the elders. Verse 66, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council. Now, who, who was this group of people? The Sanhedrin was basically the religious police, if you will. They were the group of people that, that, that policed the religious life of the nation of Israel. They were the ones who had all the rules and the regulations, and they were there to make sure that they enforced and kept you living by those rules and regulations. And, and they were the ones that kind of guided the spiritual life and the religious life of the nation of Israel. Now... Here is one situation that really needs to open our eyes about something. Uh, the nation of Israel was in the state that they were in, the spiritual state that they were in because the religious leaders were in the state they were in. Everything rises and falls on leadership. If there is corrupt leadership, there is going to be a corrupt uh, people. Are y'all with me? Now we all obviously we know uh, that they were corrupt. Uh, uh, they were, they were uh, ungodly. They were not following the rules that they wanted everybody else to follow. These was, these was a group of people that hated Jesus from the time he got here. Jesus stole their spotlight. They were arrogant. They were proud. Uh, Jesus took the crowds away from them, and they hated him. They hated him. So here we are. He is before them. And, and you got to remember, this is a religious courtroom. This is a religious courtroom. This is about trying to find him guilty of blasphemy. And I'm telling you this for a reason, because when we go into the next courtroom, it's going to be different, all right? They're trying to find him guilty of blasphemy. So here at the Sanhedrin, they're bringing false witnesses. And it's a funny thing. None of their witnesses could agree. They were trying to get the witnesses to come together and lie about Jesus, and they couldn't get none of them to agree. And they were trying to find him guilty of blasphemy. Say that word with me. They were trying to find him guilty of blasphemy the sanhedrin this was the climax of the religious trial and the key issue was this is jesus of nazareth the christ of god and they were sure that his claims were false and that he was guilty of blasphemy and the penalty for blasphemy in, in the book of leviticus was death. jesus knew their hearts he knew them and look what he says in chapter or verse six verse 67 art thou the christ tell us and he said unto them if i tell you you're not going to believe if I tell you, you're not going to believe. He said, if I also ask you, you will not answer me. He says, there's no reason to debate about this. I've laid out proof after proof after proof after proof. I have showed you one step after another, one, one uh, miracle after another. I've given you plain truth. And you're not going to believe. There, there's no reason to even debate this. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. That statement was made to force the issue. Listen, they said, nope, it's blasphemy. Jesus knew their accusers. He knew their situation. Only Luke records the direct question in Luke twenty-two seventy, and our Lord's direct answer, which literally says, you say that I am. They would use this testimony later when they brought him to Pilate. And some liberal theologians say that Jesus never claimed to be God. And we wonder what they do with this official trial. The Jewish religious leaders knew what Jesus was talking about, and this is why they condemned him to blasphemy. That's verse 60, uh, 69 is what is in reference to this particular commentary. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. The right hand was the, the hand of authority. It was the hand of legitimacy, if you will. And he was saying, I am who you say that I am. Amen? And, and that is what they used against him in the trial. The religious trial was over. They find him guilty. Even though none of the witnesses agreed, even though they had no proof whatsoever, uh, they had no proof that, uh, of him doing anything wrong. He was completely innocent, he was completely not guilty. They find him guilty in this mock trial, in this mock court. So, they got to do something else. They could not put him to death because the Romans would not give them authority to, to, to have capital punishment, and they could not put him to death. So now they have to bring him to a civil court or uh, uh, the, the, the Roman authority to have him crucified or have him put to death. Now, their religious law says to put him to death, but they couldn't do it. They didn't have the authority. So now we have to go somewhere else. That's why they bring him to Pilate. Are you all with me so far? First, he is in a religious court. First, he is in a religious setting, and they find him guilty of blasphemy. Well, when they come to Pilate, everything changes. Everything changes because they know they know that Pilate could care less about their religious rules. Pilate could care less about the, the, the blasphemy charge. That wouldn't mean anything to him. So they change the charge when they come to Pilate. Are you all with me? Say amen. So the second character we find not only the Sanhedrin but then we see Pilate. Write that down, number two, Pilate. Pilate is involved in this courtroom. In, in chapter 23, verse 1, it says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. You see, that wasn't even brought up in the first trial. That wasn't even brought up in the, in the religious part of the deal because it didn't have nothing to do with it. But they have to find some reason to give to Pilate to, to have him crucified, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. All right? Now, Pontius Pilate, in, in your notes there, Pontius Pilate served as a governor of Judea from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36, and at which time he was recalled to Rome and then passed out of official Roman history. He was hated by the Orthodox Jews and never really understood them. In his handling of the trial of Jesus, the governor proved to be indecisive. He kept looking for a loophole, but he found none. Now, Pilate privately interrogated Jesus about his kingship because this was a crucial issue. And he concluded that he was guilty of no crime. Three times, how many times? Three times during the trial, Pilate clearly affirmed the innocence of Jesus. The Jews rejected his verdict and began to accuse Jesus all the more. When they mentioned Galilee, Pilate, uh, the stout politician that he was immediately saw an opportunity to get Jesus off his hands. He sent him to Herod Antipas, ruler of Galilee, the man who had murdered John the Baptist, who was anxious to see Jesus. So we go from the garden... To the high priest's house wait for daylight when daylight gets here they call the council together they call the sanhedrin together and now they 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 put him before a mock court a a a wrong uh, a court a made up uh uh charges against him and they find him guilty of blasphemy all right from there they take him to Pilate in the courtroom of Pilate. And, and they said, you know, he's perverted the nation. Uh, uh, he, he, he's saying don't pay your taxes. And he's also saying he's king. He's trying to, he's trying to overthrow Caesar. See, he's trying to bring out and, and make it seem like uh, 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 that he's against the government. Well, now that pricks up the ears of Pilate. So Pilate takes Jesus off privately and says, all right, are, are you a king? Are you claiming to be king? What's the deal with this kingship stuff? And Jesus answers him the same way. He says, you say that I am. And Pilate hears them talk about that he's a Galilean. Well, automatically he says, my goodness, I'll just send him to Herod. I'll just send him to Herod and get him off my hands. Then I won't have to worry about it because he knows he's innocent. He knows he's innocent. He don't want to have anything to do with him. So he sends him to Herod. Well, Herod, if you, if you are a, a, a study a Bible, any whatsoever, Herod is the one that had John the Baptist killed because John the Baptist said that it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Say amen. He was the one that was preaching hell, fire, and brimstone. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And a matter of fact, Herod liked John the Baptist. Not necessarily because he preached truth, because it was a form of entertainment to him. But yet, y'all know the story, his wife hated him. Uh, a a woman scorned, you know. uh, She hated him, and and she had her daughter dance seductively before him, got him in uh, this uh, crazed-up activity and said, Man, whatever you want, I'll give you. And she went back to her mom, and her mama said, Tell him to cut John the Baptist's head off and put it on a plate for me. you all know the story. He made the promise. He fulfilled the promise, and he silenced the voice of God. He silenced the voice. He silenced the, the voice crying in the wilderness, He had John Baptist killed. Well, he heard about Jesus. He heard about Jesus. He heard about the miracles that Jesus was doing. He actually thought, he actually thought that this possibly could be John Baptist come back from the dead. I heard a preacher preach one time Are you haunted by the preaching of John the Baptist? He said, man, this must be John Baptist coming back. This might be Elijah. You know, who who is this miracle? And he wanted to seem bad because he wanted to see some trick. He wanted to see some miracle. Maybe he'll turn something into wine for me. Boy, he was all excited that he would get to see Jesus. And word got to him as they brought Jesus to him. As they brought Jesus to him, Herod there began to question him. And according to the word of God, according to the word of God, jesus wouldn't so much as even look at him he asked him question after question after question after question after question and in every question he answered him not a word so what was taking place herod had silenced the voice of god who was john john said i'm i'm a voice crying in the wilderness i'm a voice i'm the messenger I am the forerunner of the Messiah. I'm the voice of God crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. And he had him executed, and he silenced the voice of God, and God never spoke to him. And it wasn't Herod Herod judging Christ. It was Christ judging Herod. And as it continued, as it continued, he just began to get bolder and bolder and bolder and began to mock him, began to question him and mock him. And he even allowed he even allowed his men of war he even allowed his soldiers to to put a a robe upon him and 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 and, and, and to mock him and make fun of him and his claim to be king. Then he took him and sent him back. I don't find no fault in him. I don't see nothing wrong. Sends him back to Pilate. Well, the only thing that was accomplished out of this meeting is that Pilate and Herod became friends again. Well. Here we are, we've gone from we've gone from the Sanhedrin to Pilate. Now we've gone from Pilate to uh, Herod. Now they send him back from Herod because see Herod was in Jerusalem for the for the festivities and the, the in the feast there. So now they send him back to Pilate, and here we go. Here we go. So how many of y'all understand the characters that are involved in this court? We've got the Sanhedrin. Which and we say that we say the uh, uh, the, the high priest, but, but he was involved in the Sanhedrin there. So we have the Sanhedrin, we have Pilate, and we have Herod. All right, are we all on the same page? All right. The second thing I want you to see, B, write this down. In the court, we not only see the characters in the court, but I want you to see, I want you to see B, I want you to see the charges. Every courtroom has to have charges levied against whoever's being tried. The charges are found in verse number two of chapter 23 and they begin to accuse him saying we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to caesar saying that he himself is christ and we know that's a lie we know that's a lie because of the disciples they came to jesus and they begin to question about the taxes and they say hey your, your people ain't paying taxes and and they said do you they question him they question him say, should we should we render to caesar should we pay taxes to caesar he said show me a coin they showed him a coin, and on that coin was an inscription of Caesar. He says, well, whose inscription? He says, Caesar. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. He never said not to pay taxes. They are distorting truth. Are y'all with me? He even, he even uh, had his disciples to go fishing and find, might find money in the mouth of the fish that are caught to pay. Are y'all with me? So this is another lie. This is another dishonest statement that is made. The Jewish leaders knew that their religious laws meant nothing to a Roman official, so they emphasized the political aspects of their indictment against Jesus. There were three charges, basically. He perverted the nation. He opposed paying the poll tax to Caesar and claimed to be king. And that last one was the deal. The last one was the, that was the nail in the coffin. That was the one that sealed the deal. Because when it was all come to a head, when it all began to boil over, when, when, when everything that Pilate tried to do to get Jesus off the hook did not work, they said this, You're not a friend to Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. In other words, if you let him go, you are a traitor to Caesar. And that bothered Pilate. That bothered Pilate because Pilate liked his political position. And when they brought this into the issue, this is what changed everything. We see the charges. See. See. We see the conclusion. We see the conclusion.
1: Pilate says,
0: Pilate says in verse number verse number four. And and matter of fact, three times in this chapter we find the same statement. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the people, I find no what? I find no fault in this man. The conclusion. It's amazing. Pilate has gone down in history as the man who tried Jesus Christ. Three times he declared him not guilty. Three times. And yet crucified him just the same. Dr. Luke reported three other witnesses beside Pilate who also found him not guilty. King Herod found him not guilty. One of the the thieves on the cross beside him found him not guilty. And a Roman centurion that we find in Luke 23, 47 said truly this was the Son of God not guilty not guilty not guilty not guilty d i want you to see a compromise since it was customary since it was customary to release someone at the passover because it was all about keeping the jewish people appeased because they hated the romans they didn't like being under the roman rule and the roman authority So in order to kind of settle them down and keep an uprising from taking place, they would always ceremoniously uh, release a prisoner unto them at the Passover. Now, because of that, Pilate come up with a plan. I find him not guilty. Herod can't find no problem with him, no guilt. This guy is not guilty. Man, what am I going to do? How can I get, what can I do to, so he comes up with a plan. He knows that there is a prisoner, and most of y'all, this is going to seem second nature to y'all because y'all were here for Easter, and you know what we did with Barabbas for Easter. Uh, and, and he comes up with a plan. He comes up with a compromise. I'll go tell them. I, I The worst prisoner, and possibly, possibly he was the worst prisoner that they had. I mean, if you're guilty and you're fixing to be crucified, you're fixing to be condemned uh, at that particular way, in that particular way, that was, crucifixion was only held for the worst of the worst. He was a thief. He was a murderer. He was a rebel. I mean, he was, and, and they, he just knew if I present them, you want me to turn Jesus loose or Brad? Surely they're going to say, turn Jesus loose. This guy ain't so bad that they would be willing to let this crazy maniac loose. Surely that's what we'll do. Pilate offered the Jews a compromise. He would chastise Jesus, he would whoop them and, and, and scourge him. And chastise him and let him go. And he had another prisoner, Barabbas, that we just talked about. But Pilate was sure that they would t- say, turn Jesus loose. But guess who they picked? If y'all can't guess it, we're in trouble. Amen? They said, release Barabbas. You know, it is amazing. It is amazing how depraved man can truly become, isn't it? Doesn't the Bible say that there'll be a day when they call bad good and good bad? I, you know, uh, Kirk, Cameron, Kirk Cameron made a statement about the homosexual agenda and, and how he felt in his heart how detrimental it is to the foundation of society and culture. And, and he is being crucified for it. We are living in a time and a culture and a nation where anything good is bad and anything bad is celebrated as good. Man can become so depraved. Let me say this. It's on my mind and it's not in the notes, but just, just... The Bible says man's heart is desperately wicked. You left to yourself, even saved, you left to yourself... We can, we can become some awful creatures. Aside from God, apart from God. Now we need to, we need to and I'm saying this, I'm not saying this to, to, to belittle anybody, I'm just saying this kind of as a warning that anybody has the potential to do anything as, as, as they release and get farther and farther away from God good thing about us is God the only good thing we have is God the only thing that makes us anything is the God that is in us that's the only good thing we have man is going and and I'm going to prove this and God's going to prove it God's going to prove it during the thousand year millennial reign God's going to prove it during the thousand year millennial reign and this might be a little bit heavy for some of y'all but I'm gonna go ahead and say it and trust me you'll catch up with us at the end of the seven year tribulation the Bible says that God is going to take Satan; He's going to bound him for a thousand years. Jesus Christ is going to come literally, physically, realistically on this planet, and He's going to rule this world with a rod of iron. You read, you read in the Old Testament about the day that the lion shall lay down by the lamb, and the child shall pick up an adder and an ass. God's going to make this earth as the Garden of Eden. It's going to be, it's going to be great. He is going to control it. He is going to rule it. We're going to have a perfect world ruler jesus christ there are going to be people born after another born and born and born there's going to be and the bible says at the end of that period i always wondered about this man reading it until i really studied it and and started digging into it he's going to allow just millions of people to be born during that period of time during the time of perfect reign and perfect rule because in man's mind in man's mind we think we're only bad because how we were raised or we think that it's because of the atmosphere we're around that causes us to be what we are and God is proving to man you're corrupt no matter what the atmosphere is and at the end of that at the end of that thousand year reign At the end of that 1,000-year perfect reign, at the end of the 1,000 years of a perfect environment and atmosphere on this planet, and and millions and millions and millions and millions millions of humans being born in a perfect society, in a perfect rule, in a perfect environment, the Bible says Satan is going to be loose for a season, and he's going to go all over this planet deceiving people and having them to come against God one more time. Read it. It's in your Bible. And God's going to obliterate them. I always wonder why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he, why would he cut Satan loose one more time? Why would he even, what's the point of that? Because God is just, God is righteous, God is perfectly holy, and man is not. And he's going to show himself to be true and holy. And man, by his true nature, even though he is raised and grows up and is around a perfect atmosphere, still at the core and at the heart is sinful. And in this situation, I can't help but see the sinfulness of man and the depravity of man. The low state man can become. At the lowest state, God's at his greatest. The world is fixing to be destroyed. It has repented me that I have made man. I'm going to destroy man off the face of this earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When man was at his darkest and worst and wickedest time, God was up to the best. When man gave his worst, God gave his best. Church, say amen. I know I run a rabbit a little bit right there, but I I struck him, and he jumped in front of me. Amen? We got him, though, didn't we? Amen. Now, look, uh, what was the last one we, we, we stopped with? compromise compromise he tried to come up with a compromise he said well well, well, let me just give you barabbas let's let's destroy barabbas let's crucify barabbas he's a bad guy but man so depraved they pick jesus to be crucified then then lastly i want you to see the conceding the conceding instead of saying look this is not right i'm not going to do this He cared more about his position than he did character. Pilate realized that his mishandling of the situation had almost caused a riot, and a Jewish uprising was the last thing he wanted during Passover. So he called for water and washed his hand before the crowd, affirming his innocence. He was a compromiser who was willing to contend the people, and Barabbas was released, and Jesus was condemned to die on a Roman cross. Pilate was a complex character. He openly said that Jesus was innocent, yet he permitted him to be beaten and condemned him to die. He carefully questioned Jesus and even trembled at his answers, but the truth of the word did not make a difference in his decisions. He wanted to be popular and not right. He was more concerned about reputation than he was character. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Number two not only do we see the court jesus has gone to court he's been condemned and now it's time for the crucifixion they release barabbas they take jesus he he, Pilate looks to his soldiers he says see to it release barabbas see to it scourge him and then have him crucified let's look at a few things under the crucifixion 29 minutes we're doing good we're doing good uh first thing i want you to see write this down when we talk about the crucifixion i want you to see the place Let's look at the place of the crucifixion. Uh, there's many, many different words. We, we find Calvary, Golgotha. You know, we love. I love singing, On a, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Amen? Uh, the word there, uh, the, 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 the word Calvary, comes from the Latin word calvaria, which means a skull, a skull. The Greek is cranion, which gives us the English word cranium y'all know skull, cranium the Aramaic word is Golgotha the name is not explained in the New Testament and the site may have resembled a skull as does Gordon's Calvary there in Israel near the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem or perhaps the name simply grew out of the ugly facts of execution I went on Google today and uh, I looked up Uh, On images, I looked up Gordon's Calvary, and it's a pretty cool picture. I mean, if if you've never seen it, uh, and and, and I'm not saying that this is the official site, this is exactly where it is, but some are speculating, some some scholars believe that because there is a tomb beside it, uh, and they show pictures of the tomb and and that kind of thing. And and we don't know exactly if that is is what the deal is, but it possibly could be. But either either way, it was called Calvary. It was called Galgotha, the place of the skull, and there they took him. So we see the place of the crucifixion. B, we see the participants. We see the participants. The Bible says, and this is really important, he gave sentence, they took him, and the Bible says as he, he took up his cross, they, Jesus was so uh, weakened by the beating. He was so fatigued by what he had experienced being up all night, being through the mock trials, being beaten uh, with a cat of nine tails. He was bleeding uh, every part of his body. Uh, and 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 most scholars believe, and they say that through the teachings of the Bible, that he was beating to the point that you could not even tell he was a man. You could see... You could see his insides. I mean, he was there, and now he's trying to carry the cross because that is part of the condemnation. And he is so weak, and he he doesn't have the strength to be able to do it. He falls, and they take Simon, they take Simon, and and uh, uh, recruit him to take this cross and carry it for Jesus. Uh, uh, man, there's there's a lot of stuff I'd like to talk about right there. This this. Cool. Okay, what do you think? What do you think Jesus? What do you think Jesus was? Telling old Simon as they was carrying that cross, could it could have been? He whispered over to him and said, "Farther along, you'll know all about it." Could, anyhow, let's get on. I I'm, I I see another rabbit. Amen. Look here, in 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 verse in uh, let's see, let me get back where I was going. I got carried away because I. Mm. All right, verse twenty-seven. Verse twenty-seven. You found your place. Amen. They're headed. They're headed to be crucified. And there they followed him, a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed. And and I was studying today, too, by the way. Uh, And nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus had one woman as an enemy. Nowhere. You can't find it in the Gospels. You can't find it where Jesus had a woman for an enemy. And he always elevated the place of a woman and and. And, you know, we, society will tell you the Bible berates women and belittles women, not in the Gospels, not in Jesus. Amen? They're following a great company of women who, who were bewailing, and they were crying. They were, they were lamenting what was going on. They were mourning what was taking place. So, so not only do we see, uh, 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 we see, what did I say? What, what was the last one I gave you? All right, the participants put this. We see mourners crying. Mourners crying, number one. We see the mourners crying. In that crowd was a group of women who openly wept and lamented as they sympathized with Jesus and contemplated the terrible spiritual condition of the nation. Jesus appreciated their sympathy and used it to teach them a a most important lesson. While they were weeping over the injustice of one man's death, He was looking ahead and grieving over the terrible destruction of the entire nation and the judgment that was wholly justified. Now let's read what Jesus says. Verse 28. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, and it was only going to be 40 years. Forty years the Romans were going to come and and desecrate and destroy Jerusalem. He said, He said, For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Jesus was telling them. Jesus was trying to get them to understand. What's fixing to happen to me is not the worst thing. What's fixing to happen to you and judgment is going to fall on Jerusalem. Judgment is going to fall on the nation of Israel because of their unbelief. Alas, it would be the women and children who would suffer the most. A fact that is supported by history. The Romans attempted to starve the Jews into submission and hungry men defended their city, uh, took food from their suffering wives and children and even killed and ate their own flesh and blood. The nation of Israel was like a green tree during the years when Jesus was on the earth. It was a time of blessing and opportunity when Jesus, they could have received him and believed in him. And it should have been a time of fruitfulness, but the nation rejected him and became a dry tree. Fit only for the fire. Fit only for judgment. Jesus often would have gathered his people together, but they would not. In condemning him, they only condemned themselves. Here's here's how we could paraphrase what Jesus was saying if the Roman authorities do this to one who is innocent what are they going to do to you who are guilty when the day of judgment arrives can there any escape can there be any escape for you isn't it amazing Jesus is going to die but yet he is still ministering to people I mean, he said, now, now here's the deal. I, I know what y'all think, but he's God. But he was man. That's the miracle of the incarnation. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. In other words, if we took one of you and did everything to you that they did to Jesus, everything you feel, he felt. He was all man. Yet he was still ministering. He was still. What a God. What a God. We see the mourners crying. Then we see the malefactors they were choosing. The malefactors are the thieves on the cross beside him, one on one hand and one on the other. Now, you know, think about this a minute. We know there was one thief that repented and one thief that rebelled. True? One thief, Jesus said, uh, uh, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But do you realize that when they first crucified them, first put them on the cross, do you realize both thieves mocked him? Both of them. It's not recorded in every gospel. But one gospel records that they 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 both railed upon him. But something changed one of them's mind. Could it be, I feel another rabbit. Could it be when they were driving those spikes in his hands and he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. could it it be what was it what was it that changed his mind could it be the love that he had toward his mother when he said John she's yours now Mary what was it whatever it was he said Lord we deserve to be here. This man don't. You see, they had to choose. Both of them, Jesus was in between. They both had the same access to God. You know what that teaches me? Every sinner has the same access to God. They just got to make a choice. And in this choice, one rebelled, one mocked him, said, if you who you say you are, If you are who you say you are, won't you get us down? Obviously, he didn't believe. Obviously. But then we find the other. He says, look, man, we deserve to be here. Me and you are both are guilty. What was that? The first step of repentance is admitting guilt. He said, Lord, remember me two words he didn't know the Romans road it wasn't written yet he didn't know anything but he knew who was on the cross beside him there was two things he did know he knew who he was and he knew who Jesus was and if you ever get a grip on who you really are and you really understand who he really is, that'll change everything. Remember me. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Church, say amen. Aren't Well, 17 minutes. We're rolling. Amen. Amen. Listen, it was prophesied that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors in Isaiah 53, 12. Two criminals were crucified with Jesus. They were robbers, and not just robbers. The Greek word means one to to one who uses violence to rob openly. In other words, in contrast to the thief who secretly enters a house and steals, these two men have been guilty of armed robbery involving murder. These was not good guys. Are y'all with me? We know one mocked him and the other believed and was truly saved. His faith, his faith. Amen? Not only do we see mourners there at Calvary, we see malefactors at Calvary. Number three, we find some ministers at Calvary. We find some ministers at Calvary. Joseph and his friend Nicodemus, we, we remember Nicodemus from John chapter number 3, the one who came to Jesus by night. They were both members of the Jewish council, but they had not been present to vote against Jesus. They couldn't have been because Mark 6, 1464 states that the whole council condemned him, and we know these two didn't because they were believers. And that could not have happened if Joseph and Nicodemus had been there. It is likely that Joseph and Nicodemus had learned from the Old Testament scriptures how Jesus would die, so they agreed to take care of his burial. The new tomb was likely Joseph's, prepared in a garden near Golgotha, but not for himself. It was for Jesus. No rich man would prepare his own burial place so so near a place of execution and so far from his own home. The two men could well have been hiding. Now, this is speculation here. This is theory. This is not verbatim. This is not doctrine so don't say the preacher said they did. this is a possibility does everybody hear me right there this is a possibility the two men could have well been hiding in the tomb while Jesus was on the cross waiting for that moment when he would yield up his life and they would have the spices and the winding sheets all prepared for they would probably not be able to go shopping for these during the Passover time when Jesus died Joseph immediately went to Pilate for permission to have the body Nicodemus stayed at Calvary to keep watch They tenderly took Jesus from the cross, quickly carried him to the garden, washed the body, and wrapped it with the spices. It was a temporary burial that they would return after the Sabbath to do the job properly. And You can read that throughout the verses there, uh, 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 verses 52 through 56. Uh, And it says, uh, it was, let's see, when they laid Jesus in the new tomb, they fulfilled Isaiah 53, 9, and they kept the Romans from throwing his body on the garbage dump outside the city. Because you see, condemned criminals lost their right to proper burial, but God saw that it that His Son's body was buried with dignity and love. Church, say Amen. Now, now we're going to look at the proclamations on the cross. The proclamations on the cross. What words were said on the cross? And we're kind of backing up a little bit, but as I was alliterating it, this is the way we had to do it. Amen. Uh, uh, because I kind of got carried away. And and anyhow. Uh, The proclamations on the cross jesus was on the cross jesus was on the cross uh uh, from 9 a.m to 3 p.m or or excuse me uh from noon to 3 p.m there was darkness over all the land so six hours on the cross three hours in darkness y'all with me say amen six hours hanging and most of the time most of the time a lot of people don't understand it wasn't it wasn't uh uh a loss of blood that would cause them to die on the cross it was usually uh, suffocation because while they 're hanging there they put themselves and position them in such a way that the weight of the body they would get tired and then they would they would they would fall down and then the weight of the body would pull on the lungs and the diaphragm, and they couldn 't breathe well then they would get as, as much strength as they could and push themselves up and then they could breathe again, and that was six hours of that process six hours of trying to get enough strength to push yourself up to take a breath and then fall back down. Now, that is why they broke their legs. If y'all remember, uh, they said, look, we don't want, we don't want, after sundown, we don't want them on the cross. We want, we want to, hey, let's speed this process up. So uh, Pilate commanded them to go break their legs because what they would do, they would take a bone axe. They would take a bone axe and go in and they would break the legs of the people being crucified so they no longer could stand up and then they would go ahead and and suffocate. Well, that was when they were surprised when they come to Jesus, and they marvelled that He was already, He was already dead, because no man took His life from Him. He gave up the ghost. It, Amen. Let's look at this a minute. Let's look at this a minute. Jesus spoke basically seven times during these six terrible hours. In two different places, I, I want you to see this. Uh, Jesus spoke in two ways. Jesus spoke in two ways. The first way, he spoke as the high priest. He was operating as the high priest. And you'll see it in the terminology. When he said, Father, forgive them, that was as the high priest. As when he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, when he forgave the thief on the cross, that was as the high priest. Do y'all see the terminology there? When he looked at the woman and looked at John and he was was making sure and ministering to his mother that he would be leaving behind. He made sure that she was going to be taken care of. He was acting as the high priest. Do y'all see that? Well, after that we see the time of darkness comes. The time when he must take upon himself the sin of this world and God bring judgment upon him and God brought darkness upon the planet then he cries out four different sayings now he is not operating and acting as the high priest now he becomes the sacrifice now he is the sacrifice that will be killed now he is the sacrifice who will give his life for the sin of the people. Now he becomes the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And as the high priest, he said, Father, forgive them. As the high priest, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. As the high priest, he was ministering to his mother. But as the sacrifice, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you hear how his terminology changes? In the beginning, as the high priest, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But when he becomes the sacrifice, he cries out, Not my Father, but my my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Now, now he's fulfilled the Father's will. Now the terminology changes again. Father, into thy hands. I come in my spirit. As the high priest, he's ministering. As the sacrifice, he's given his life. All on the cross of Calvary. Luke recorded only three of these seven statements. Since we're studying Luke, we, we need to say that. Luke only recorded three of these seven statements. The first, the second, and the last. Our Lord's prayer for his enemies his ministry to a repentant thief, they all fit well with Luke's purpose to show Jesus Christ as a sympathetic son of man who cared for the needy. While they were nailing him on the cross, he repeatedly prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not only was he practicing what he taught, but he was fulfilling prophecy and making intercession for the transgressor. We must not infer that from this prayer that ignorance is a basis for forgiveness. Amen. Or that those who sinned against Jesus were automatically forgiven because he prayed. Certainly both the Jews and the Romans were ignorant of the enormity of their sin, but that could not absolve them. The law provided a sacrifice for sins committed ignorantly, but there was no sacrifice for deliberate presumptuous sin. Our Lord's intercession postponed excuse me God's judgment on the nation for almost 40 years, giving them additional opportunities to be saved. <clears throat> Jesus showed his love all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Now he has been he's been killed. The spear is in his side. Blood and water comes out. There's a whole message in that right there. But he's died. His disciples are weeping. The devil's grinning. The people sinning. But it's Friday. Apparently, some of y'all have forgotten Easter and you need to go watch the video again. It's Friday. Sunday's coming. They put him in the tomb, and they were weeping. They were wondering. They were afraid. But Sunday's coming. Actually, it's going to get here next Wednesday. Amen? (laughs) We put him in the ground tonight, but I promise you, he rises again. So your homework is what? Read chapter 24. Read chapter 24. Now, how many of y'all are reading the chapter before we cover it? Uh huh. That's detention for all of you. Amen. All right. Read chapter 24. Read chapter 24. We are done. Four pages, Bubba, and I got it done with six minutes to spare. Amen. Let's give God praise and glory. Amen. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to come and find a place in this altar. I don't like coming up there. Listen, uh, dim the light so they won't know they're down here, all right? I just I just believe there's something powerful about praying at the altar. Amen? And, uh, And, yeah, really.